0: Welcome to Rock, Paper, Swords, the historical action and adventure podcast. My name is Matthew Harfey. And my name is Stephen A. Mackay. We're both best-selling historical fiction authors and together we chat about all things historical and anything that could fall under the banner of action and adventure in books, film, TV and games.
1: Oh, and we also talk about rock music from time to time. Now today I'll be a little bit different. For the first time in what seems like ages we don't have a guest. It's just the two of us. I am, however, going to be interviewing Matthew, as he has a new book due out, and hopefully you're all desperate to know about it. So we'll just jump straight into the questions, Matthew, okay? Okay. Now, I was confused, which is easily done for me. So when you were talking about your new book, I assumed it was a Western, and I wrote out questions for that. But this is not the Western, though. This is A Day of Reckoning. Book three in your A Time for Swords series. So what's it about?
0: Well um yeah see I, it is inter- interesting that you were so easily confused first first off yeah. um and and it is an interesting thing as well for people to understand the ways I in that you're well, that you're easily confused but that, that that you're actually talking about the new book that's coming yeah. out when yeah. you're actually already writing or have finished
1: mm-hmm. the next
0: book because i've already finished the western that you mentioned so when we talk about that for actually coming out to the public that will be the summer you know, next year probably. it'll
1: be old by then?
0: To you? <laughs> for me, it will be. It will already be old news. Yeah, I'll have written another Bear brand book by then. But on to A Day of Reckoning. So yes, it's the third book in the Hunlaf um, series, the A Time for Swords series. And anyone who's read the book so far will know that it's written um, ostensibly by an aging monk Um, this series, and he's looking back on his life, a monk called Hunlaf. It's set at the very end of the 8th century, the beginning of the Viking Age, and he's looking back on a very storied um, and exciting life, um, recounting the different adventures that he's had over the years, because when he was a very young man, in the first book, he, um, he witnesses the attack of the Vikings, the Norsemen, on Lindisfarne in 793, and Rather than get killed with the rest of the monks um, or run away, he decides to stand and fight. And from that moment, his life is changed. And he takes up the mantle of a warrior um, and ends up joining a motley crew or bringing together a motley crew of, um, of different warriors and defending a monastery against, against the invading Vikings. And the second book, they voyage off over the seas um, and start uh, doing other quests and adventures. Um, and in this third book, the, the ship that they're on, the Brimsteader, um, and this motley crew of warriors and people um, have travelled down south, further than Hunlaf or most of them, if, if not all of them, any of them have ever been before, um, to the land of Al-Andalus, which is modern-day Spain and Portugal, the Iberian Peninsula. And um, so it's his first contact with... Um, Arabs and Muslims, and um, yes, much uh, much adventure ensues. as There's all sorts of intrigues going on, and people with different um, different reasons for travelling down there. Hunlaf is travelling looking for um, a, a book that appears in the very first book of, of the series that they've been. He's been kind of chasing, um, and he has reason to believe that it's gone down south to the kingdom of the Moors, as they are known in the book and at the time, Um, and um, there's other people on the ship with him that are travelling for different reasons, but I won't give too much away.
1: Yeah, nice. I was just thinking as you were talking there, I have read the first book, but it's very similar to Cornwell's uh, King Arthur books, where he had a monk, didn't he? Uh, Dervil, who's telling the oh, story. yes, yes, you know? that's right. So, uh, the, yes, yeah. A similar idea, although... I mean, you obviously know that he can't die, but uh, those are Cornwall's yeah. best books to me. So I thought it just goes to show that you can get away with it if it's, if you know how to do it, and you're obviously it's really doing interesting. It as
0: well. well, thank you. It's really interesting. Yes, I mean, obviously, it's a bit of a nod to that. It's kind of a, a trope um, of of some types of historical fiction. You see it again and again. I mean, the um, obviously you've got those Arthurian books by Bernard Corn, which are huge inspiration, obviously. Um, but um, I think the the outlaw series by um Angus Donald. Is, yeah. Again, they have that. It's um Alan Dale looking back okay. um I think and writing sort of his memoirs. So it's a very sort of and of course you've got the Flashman books as well. It's this 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 thing of sort of looking back on your life and and writing memoirs. But um yeah. but yeah it's um it was interesting talking to the last week I was recording the audio a bits of the audiobook and I did a Q&A for the audiobook book um, version of A Day of Reckoning with the narrator Barnaby Edwards and um he he was. Uh, I'm forgetting where we would go with this because you started off the by by saying to me, "Oh yes, about about the fight scenes and stuff." And he was saying how um, it was interesting that it's written from the first person perspective, and so you know that the, the main character is going to survive um, because he's talking about when he was a younger man. But he said it still manages to seem scary like when you're in the fight scene you still think that he's in jeopardy and we talked a bit about that and about how obviously the fact that over the book some of the other characters get either seriously hurt or killed um does keep you on the edge of your seat because you don't know what's going to happen to all of the people around Hunlaf even though you know that Hunlaf's going to survive you know that it ultimately he, he ends up alone um or alone with other monks but not with his motley crew of warriors uh-huh. that he's got with him so you don't know what happens to them
1: you keep mentioning Motley Crue, but we should make it clear that yes. it's, not, it's not the band. Although
0: It is actually the band, funnily yeah. enough, yeah. So... so it
1: does shout at the devil?
0: Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do that a lot.
1: Uh, how do you find this series compared to the Bernicia Chronicles? Is it more or less fun to write or just the same?
0: That's an interesting one. I don't know about, I don't know if any writing, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I find any writing fun, um, to be perfectly honest, so I don't know, but um, I find it all quite difficult. I think I think people have this idea that you sit down and and it's just great fun and all the words just flow and it's really enjoyable. You must have sometimes over like maybe you've got a fight scene
1: and they're kind of easy because you don't really have to plan out what you know. You just sit down and write it and it basically writes itself. I think that kind of thing can be fun. Well, you know, yeah, what I mean?
0: yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. I think definitely the action scenes are more fun to write than lots of the other stuff. So the plotting. Yeah, I, I, it, it's an interesting one. I think they've got their different um challenges, and the fact that the Bonicia Chronicles are written in third person, it's kind of like more of an omniscient perspective point of view, and so you've got multiple um points of view. So yeah. I can tell the story from different from different perspectives, which makes it easier in some ways. Because if it, if you want to sort of show that there's something going to happen, or that somewhere else the king is plotting, or whatever, you can throw in. Uh, at least you know uh, there can be two or three different perspectives so you can throw someone you know a different um, point of view in whereas in the hunlaf the real challenge is that fact that it's written in first person and that you can never you can't do that at all so you do actually find yourself i'd say that makes it more difficult to write in some ways although it's much more immediate in others um but it, it it makes it difficult because you can't do that sort of looking behind the curtain and showing what's happening the other side of of the of a, of a city or something. You have to do it all from the perspective of the of the main character and his recollections. And so every now and again you do a you can you can do that thing of like later I heard that um, this had happened or whatever. But <laughs> uh-huh. it, you can't do too much of that. So it's it's it's. That, I think that that probably poses the most difficulty. And I suppose the other thing that I find challenging with it, although it's much more immediate for the right for the reader. I think from the writer's perspective, doing it in first person means that you have to really kind of trust that you're writing from the sort of the truth of the character, that like you're really inside the character's head. That if it feels, I, I don't know, you can't. There's no, there's no, there's no wiggle room for sort of fudging it. You know, the, the reader's going to know that it's not real if you don't sound like the character. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know he's exactly. Got cont- yeah. He's got to keep his. Sort of feeling of being him, you know, so you, you can't, you, there's no, there's no, you can't step out and start just describing things like you can in a, in a book in the third person. I mean, you could describe a battle from like the bird's eye view almost. But um, you
1: can, uh, what I was thinking there as you were talking was like you could describe the battle from, for talking sake, the the baddies' side, and it would see yeah. like Bear Brand coming towards them and how terrifying yes. Bear Brand is. Whereas with Hunlaf, you can't. You can't have him describing himself as terrifying.
0: Exactly. You know, yes. So, so you've got
1: that different scene to set, what makes it much easier.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think it's more difficult to write in first person. I think it's much more. I think some some readers don't like it, but I think the majority of readers find it more engaging. Um, and you can see that from the number of people that say that, like the Bernard Cornwell's, yeah. like they love the Uhtred books and their first person, and also the the um the Warlord Chronicles. Um, about the Arthurian stuff but again, first person. I think it's because people really like that um, that, that way of telling a story.
1: Yeah, it's very visceral, and realistic, I suppose. I've got a slightly silly question for you.
0: That's a that's a surprise.
1: <laughs> You've dropped the alliteration in the titles for this series. Ah. Why?
0: Well, that's intentional as well. No? That's uh, it's a pretty it's good question, actually, because well, I did it for the for the Serpent Sword, and then I did the Cross and the Curse, and then of course, uh, whatever the next one is, Blood and Blade, and um, of King, Fury. Killer of Kings, and Fortress of Fury, and all. That. And the reason I started doing it was because of the thinking that this is, it's like a um, a nod to the um, to the alliteration in Anglo-Saxon poetry and so they use it a lot in that sort of spoken like beowulf style um mm-hmm. spoken poetry that they, that they that they're known for you know and so it was really a nod for that uh, to that and then i didn't realize i was going to write so many books and it became <laughs> after a while pain in know, the pretty much yeah pain in the ass to think of the of the titles try to think of a title that's got something to do with the with the story and it's strong and it's short enough that it can fit on a cover, and you know all these different things. And it needs to, on top of that, it needs to rhyme. You know, it's hard enough to think of a really good um, title anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that was it. And when I when I did Wolf of Wessex, which is a standalone, I I wasn't going to alliterate the title. The initial title was different, actually, and um and I didn't have I didn't plan to have an alliterative title. So it was only by luck that that ended up becoming an alliterative title. I can't speak. Um, and then, of course, when I did the, a day of um, a time for swords, I thought, right, this is the moment I need to get away. Yeah. And originally it was going to be a sort of toying with the idea of having a time for swords, a time for blood, a time for battle, a time for whatever, death. Mm-hmm. You know, you could just have any word at the end. Um, that, well, in the end, after lots of discussion with the editors, when it came to the second book, we changed our minds about that. But I think um, there's a, I think there's a John Gwynne. Series that actually does that, um, right. which I didn't realize at the time. But later, when I was looking, and you know, we were sort of researching. I thought, I'm glad I didn't go that route because I think he's got like a time for, I can't remember what they are now. A time for courage or a time for whatever, and I think he's done something very similar. Um, so anyway, in the end, we just went with this. You know, it's a time for swords, a night of flames, a day of reckoning. So they all follow a pattern. So what's what's obviously, next, all the
1: what's next then? The afternoon, the of the, er, the early weekend. the early
0: morning of of headaches. I don't know. We'll have to. <laughs> <laughs> the the afternoon of, of, of high <laughs> the afternoon of blood. I don't know. Were, at one point, it was going to be called a Dawn of Blood. I think that was like one of the, the working titles. But it, I don't know. It sounded more like a horror book, though. No? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's funny titles. I think actually, funnily enough, um, the the Serpent Sword onwards, uh, the Benicia Chronicles books have been reasonably easy to come up with the titles until like the last couple. Um, and in these last few books that I've done, including the Western that, you know, we, we mentioned earlier, um, it's been incredibly difficult to come up with good titles that yeah, are solid and them. stand alone and that don't um you know stand on their own two feet kind of thing and they're, they're powerful and they don't they're not the oh. same as every other book that's out there because there are other books called a day of reckoning, which I wasn't very happy with. I didn't want it to be called a day of reckoning, actually. Um, really? that was the editor's um push in the end.
1: Um, I, like I can't, it. I I can't just... yeah.
0: I, I mean, I've, I, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it now, but I don't like the fact that when you search, yeah, other good goodreads, sure. you'll find like another, you know, five or six or whatever. Well, books
1: you say that, but it can definitely help because somebody brought out a book called The Druid recently, okay. And I only found out because all of a sudden my book, The Druid, started to sell really well for, <laughs> out of the blue, and then I, I turned on my Kindle one day and the advert that showed up was this guy's book called The Druid and I think he's actually published by Amazon so they were really pushing it tons of adverts and as I say the lock screen on the Kindle was The Druid and that's when I realised people are actually finding my book and buying it.
0: They're just just googling it. I don't know if they were doing it
1: by accident or if they maybe liked the blurb and realised it was a different book or or what but it definitely helped for a wee while for a good month or so that no, book brilliant. sold extra copies, loads.
0: Well I'll have to I'll have to hope that like Stephen King brings ah, exactly. out a book called A Day of Reckoning, uh-huh. like the week after or something. That's the, that's well, the if, if you are the big name then, if you're the big you're, name, the, yeah.
1: whoever's got the same title, they'll find that their book suddenly starts to sell because yours came out.
0: Yeah, maybe. That'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. To see if there's there's probably some sort of guy published you know ten years ago. will suddenly start you know, to sell. they will be like going, fucking you
1: know, hell, what's happening?
0: Uh-huh. Suddenly, suddenly uh-huh. selling loads of books.
1: All because of your advertising dollars. Could be. So you're well versed in this period now. Obviously, I've already written two previous books, but did you find out anything particularly interesting during the research for A Day of Reckoning?
0: Yeah. So I'm, each of these books has become challenging as well because of the the research and the fact that moving Hunlef around. I mean Hunlef's whole the sort of description of his life is he keeps having these asides in each of the books where he's talking. He goes like, Oh, I remember one time I was in Baghdad and such and such a thing happened. And, and so I haven't plotted out any of those different, you know, escapades that he's been involved with. And so, but I I am sort of sowing the seeds for the fact that he's traveled everywhere and been all over the place. And so I'm not a great expert in European history of the eighth century or ninth century. Um, So, I did live in Spain for a long time but I didn't I'd not study Spanish history really or anything so the fact that he's gone down to al-andalus in the you know late 8th century it really meant I had to study the whole that whole thing you know I mm. didn't really know much about the you know when the, the moors had, had first invaded why they had you know how all that had happened so it was a lot of background reading put a few books and um really interesting time i mean the, the amount of conflict across the whole of europe at this time is is amazing and how in each country or what we think of as now as a country at those, in those times like in in France they have loads of different separate kingdoms in britain the same in in spain it was just the same again you've got this this part of the al-andalus with the with the the muslims pushing up from the south but to the north there's visigothic kingdoms and and, and they're fighting against the you know, so they're, they're christians and they're fighting against the muslims and so that was interesting from a sort of contextual perspective and some of the interest really interesting things that i found um, especially interesting to me as a as a, a an action adventure writer, um, is that the 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 emir of Cordoba that they end up meeting this guy Al Al Hakam, I think his name is Al Hakam the first or Al Hakam the second I don't know Al, Al Hakam anyway the the guy is and um, he. Is pretty brutal. He's just come into power, and later on in his, I mean, I sort of there's some allusions in the story to his brutality. He does some, you know, some pretty grim moments, as you can expect from this kind of, of book. But um, there, later on in his um, in his in his life, he put down some rebellion against him, and apparently. He killed all of the, the he, he invited everybody to like a big feast. It's a typical thing that happens in medieval per- periods. It seems to happen all over the place. Yeah. They Anderson invite everyone a to a big feast. Way, and, then, and yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because he, he's taken got the idea. Actual, th- yeah. 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 But, but yeah, so he invites, he invited all these guys that had, had some sort of revolt against him, you know, or were, were planning some revolution or something. And he invites them, but he killed them all. Hmm. Um, But, and all of their retainers and retinue that came with them, apparently, possibly 5,000 people came to this massive feast. Killed, he killed them, them all. Them all. He killed them all and then crucified them along and put all their bodies along the Guadalquivir River for like I don't know how many, like a hundred miles or something. So he just had like five thousand corpses all crucified along the, the edge of this river up to Córdoba. I thought wow that's that's pretty full on.
1: Oh uh, it's pretty grim. That's a lot of <laughs>
0: crucifixions. It is, but um, it's just when you read those sort of things you think what what sort of I mean, because even if it's not 100% true and, you know, it's been blown in right. proportion by people writing the different stories later, I mean, obviously there's there's going to be a kernel of truth to it and there's loads of uprisings against him and loads of different things. And he, he just brutally put the heads of, of his enemies on spikes outside the gates, you know, and all this sort of stuff. Um, and you just think, what sort of character would a man like that be, really? And that's what I find really interesting and just thinking, can you actually get inside the head of someone with that much power but also that sort of ruthlessness and brutality that it's difficult to really, for me, it's difficult to imagine what, how, how I could, you know, I can't imagine ever being like that. I can't imagine sort of saying, you know what, you know, you've pissed me off. So I'm going to actually, I'm going to kill you. Everybody, you know, I'm going to crucify them all. I mean, it's just like, well, how do you get that? Two delivery. Okay. Okay. No problem.
1: so how many more books will there be in this series and have you started the next one yet do you have a publication date for it
0: so the first (laughs) answer is i don't know um, how many books are going to be so i haven't i I always try to make each book standalone enough that it you know it ends so the story effectively ends um, at the end of this book. So you could you could even pick this book up and read it as a standalone book, but it does fit into the series, but but it you know it definitely has a beginning, a middle and an end. So if you've not read the other books, you could definitely read this one on its own. Um, and part of that is because I don't really know I don't I don't want to leave people unsatisfied at the end of a novel, but also I don't know how many books there are going to be in the series. And with this, of course, the the um the conceit is that you know you don't know how long Hunlaf is going to remain alive. Because he's very old and infirm, and, and he's and he's ill. So all the asides and the modern part of it, or the bit when he's writing it as an old man, not modern, but you know more modern than the, the than the, yeah, the flashbacks, mm-hmm. um, are are him saying how ill he is and how he's in terrible agony and he's got terrible problems with his stomach and stuff. So there's some some horrible thing going on with his health. So yeah, you know, at any stage we can just decide that he doesn't rewrite any more books. You know, <laughs> that's the end. And it's whether. I guess how how well they sell and whether you know yeah. have to continue writing them, but but it does. There is definitely a setup at the end of this book for the story to continue, and I've got sort of vague ideas that you know I could write another few at least. So if if things sell well and and everything goes you know goes well, then I can imagine writing maybe another three at least to sort of do like another trilogy. I guess mm. um, this one does almost feel like the end of a trilogy. Um, there's certain things I wanted to wrap up because I didn't want the story just to continue being the same thread all the way you know through or having that sort of so it's it's got sort of new threads at the end of it that could lead to another another series um but no i haven't got a date for it i'm not even contracted for this i've got one more book after the western that we've mentioned that i'm contracted for and that's the 10th benicia chronicles which i'll be starting the end of september beginning of october i'm away for most of like in a couple of days i'm going away on holiday so i'm going to be away for most of september um and then i'll be starting the the next book and then that will be coming out i don't know the end of next year because i've got the westerns coming out so mid 2024 so the Bayer brand will be 2024 probably at the end um and then then yeah then then who knows maybe you know another one of each who knows
1: yeah well we know it has to go to baghdad anyway because you've told us that
0: well, if he goes to all the places, if I write the stories of all the places that he says he's gone, go on then there's going to be another ten books because right. okay. it says he's been all sorts of places. He's been on the the steppes of Mongolia. He's been to Jerusalem. He's been to Baghdad. He's been so far north that there's no you know there's no night and in the, in the summer and all stuff like this. So he's been all over the place. I mean, he's
1: there's no night but, in the summer, right?
0: Or no. Right. Yeah no yeah no not something like a... yeah so it's like like sort right far in the north Pole something like, yeah, yeah somewhere up there i don't know some of the fur farthest north part of norway or sweden or somewhere glasgow glasgow yeah so he's mentioned all of these things but whether he'll write I mean, he's been to syria definitely mentioned that as well been to constantinople
1: right.
0: rome so all of these places he's mentioned that he's been so, if I do a story around each of them, then it's going to be a lot, a long series. But I doubt that I'll cover all of them in detail, but you never know, I guess.
1: Wait, The Traveller.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, you've got two main series now this one, which follows a Christian monk, and the Bernicia Chronicles, which is about a pagan warrior, isn't it? Yes. I'm writing, so yeah. it's a while since yeah. I read uh, any of them. So do you find it interesting to write from different sides, like religious sides? Is that a challenge? I'm going to assume you have a side, a faith or spiritual path, which you prefer in your own life, even if you don't really follow a particular religion. So if that's the case, do you have to be careful not to get preachy? It's a kind of odd question for you, because you've never once mentioned to me that you have any kind of spiritual feelings or faith or anything like that. But I thought I, everybody usually has something.
0: It's interesting because I so I've definitely got a background in Christianity, my like my family background. So my dad was a Baptist minister, All right, um, and and missionary. So so obviously there's the, I was brought up in a Christian household. Um, But when I was, and I lived in Spain, as I said, for a long time, and Spain is very, very um, Catholic. Yeah, Um, not my. So it's different, different branch of Christianity, but still very Christian. But I do find that lots of that in living in Spain in the '80s, and seeing um, how Catholicism, even in the modern world, permeated into society, and seeing some of the what I would, what I. I don't know, what, what could be perceived as superstitions, how uh, things permeate society. I, could, I, could, I think that helped me imagine what the Middle Ages or early medieval period could be like and how people believe in things more strongly. I think basically what I'm trying to say is I think the religious um, belief or at least the the, the, the visibility of that belief Um, in Spain in the 80s and maybe now as well, but especially in the 80s when I was there, was much stronger than it was in in the UK Um, and and probably in other places Um, in that we would go, you'd go to like a grotto somewhere in the mountains and there'd be small figurines of people's um, limbs made out of wax hanging from some uh, sacred altar where people have prayed for those things to the local saint. Yeah, to try to, you know, to get healing for their eye or their leg or their hand or whatever. The way
1: you've described it sounds pretty sinister, I have to say.
0: Well, it's really it's so (laughs) yeah, so it is. So it's really strange. And I think the the fact that for me, coming from a background of a Protestant family moving to, to to Spain as a teenager and seeing these things, it really impacted me because you you realize how different the outlook was. And and that's only, you know, you know, cl- countries that are close together in a modern setting, um, and ostensibly, you know, both 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 Christian countries yeah. and everything. But but the, the the outward belief in certain things how they you know they would pray. There's all the Virgin Marys everywhere, and they pray to the Virgin Mary to to help for different things. Very different from what we get in the UK now. And but obviously, at the time of the books that we write in the medieval period, everybody was Catholic. There was no Protestantism. It was all. Yep. roman catholic um well if you go back far enough i suppose it's a bit different but um but yeah in the books that we write it it's when you talk about christianity it's catholicism and it is all of this uh, all of this stuff about you know the virgin mary and or the saints and all of that so i i found that very useful and very interesting in terms of being able to kind of put myself in the headspace of medieval people i sort of kind of extrapolate this modern spain i guess and sort of ramp it up yeah more um but in terms of my own religious beliefs or anything i mean as i say I, I was brought up in a christian background but when i was about 14 i said to my parents i don't want to go to church anymore i'm, yeah, I'm that done with it, it. <laughs> and they said and they were perfectly fine with it i mean they just said okay fine that's it you've, you've been to church you know so i've got a solid grounding in religion in or at least in the christian religion in terms of i had to you know get a bible school and you know sort of a sunday school and stuff so you know i learned stuff about the bible and a bit of a little bit about things like that so i think that's really useful actually from writing about the medieval period having that sort of grounding in sort of understanding what's actually in the bible and what liturgy is in the church and things i think Mm -hmm. those things are interesting because obviously religion permeates everything at that time i mean that's what you're basically referring to the fact that religion really in the early medieval period it just everybody is religious there is no chance for someone to say i'm i'm an atheist or an agnostic really although often our characters are i think so or, or say our characters i think the characters of modern historical fiction authors um often are these sort of atheists or agnostics and looking sort of down on the the, the pervasive religion of the time and i think that's a way of opening the door to a modern sensibility to look into the past and see well you know what what would it be like to look at at these things that we now think of or lots of people now would think as as superstitions um and so i that's a very long answer to what was a short question but i suppose it's such a big thing but yeah i haven't really got any preference um so i suppose writing from hunlaf's perspective it's it's not difficult for me to put myself at least to put the words into his mouth and sort of understand the way that the Christian people talk and think about things um i don't necessarily believe those things myself um and and the same i suppose goes to <laughs> goes with with bearbrand in that everybody around him are, are pagan or christian there's, there's more christians i guess than pagans by the time that bearbrand's around but he still holds to the pagan religion um but only really because he was brought up Believing, I don't think he's, he's not a hugely devout pagan person. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of his life; he ends up converting to, to Christianity just because it's the it's what everybody's doing. Yeah, but um, easier, yeah. And I think that's probably why lots of people convert yeah, to Christianity.
1: Life,
0: yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's no, a long, I just, I'm sure, I've mentioned that
1: before on the podcast. That I'd read Stephen Lawhead's King Arthur series, actually. Uh, and it starts out with a very much pagan uh, an Atlantis, I, I'm sure it is and that sinks and they come to Britain right. and Avalon and it kind of progresses from there. Uh, so he draws you in by being all these pagan characters and then before you know it he's, he turns really preachy and the later books are very, very Christian but I'm, I'm sure it's because he's a Christian and it just seemed reading them now, it just seemed like he's really preaching to the reader and, and I really I didn't enjoy the last time I read the series. I had to give up. Whereas uh, when I read it when I was about thirteen and I was going to church, uh, I, I thought it was a great series. But I suppose it just depends yeah, on the, the reader.
0: I, I definitely don't. I definitely don't try and preach about religion or anything in the books because, I, as I say, I'm not. You know, I'm no. Not religious. But I think, I, I, I think
1: it seems. I to be a lot it. of uh, like if you go on to like the Bernard Cornwell fan club on Facebook that we're both members of. Yeah. I think a lot of the people in there uh, think of themselves as heathen or whatever. Um, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, they the, yeah. the Thor's hammer or whatever round yes, their neck yeah. and, and a lot stuff of like that. that stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Which is fair enough, you know. Like, whatever people want to believe in, good, you know. Uh, it's good to have something like that to believe in. But I think you could annoy them very easily if you were suddenly to become preachy and maybe even lose readers if you were to go one way or the
0: other so it's like i think of... yeah i think a constant uh, thinking about it now i mean i've not really consciously thought about it when i was when i've been writing this series but thinking about thinking about it now i think maybe one of the things that links both of them together is this questioning of religion okay. which probably is much more autobiographical because my own background from a you know very devout christian family and i I'm definitely not religious. I don't go to church, and I don't, you know, I, I don't pray or anything. I mean, I'm not religious at all. I don't practice religion at all. And and I wish, to some extent, I wish I was religious. Yeah, because I think it would make me. It would, it would. It would. It would. It would, to some extent, soften some of the anxieties that yeah that I have I, you know. Yeah, and, fear um, of death and things like fear that. Of if you death, thought yeah, you going fear of death. Yeah. Go to heaven. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think they're less would, worried. It would be quite nice. And uh, so I think Hun. So Hunlaf, you know, he, he gives up. He's he's basically told in the first book, you know, you need to choose. You can't you can't be a warrior like you want to be and be a monk. Yeah. You, know, you need to be one or the other. And I know there are warrior monks and stuff. You know, different times yeah, of history. But, but at this point, stuff, he's yeah. told he's told by his is the abbot of the of the monastery. You know, you need to make this decision. He chooses to become a warrior at that point in his life, and he really then shies away from the religious side of things. He's still religious, still Christian. He still believes in God, but he really veers away from the sort of devout.
1: Yeah, path, um, path of,
0: that he think, was following. Yeah. yeah, and so he and he's well, he goes off and he does all sorts of things. And he not only kills people in fight, you know, fighting, but he he's a bit of a womanizer and stuff. I and mean, he's much more. <laughs> he's, he just becomes much more like a worry. Sort of goes full on. You know, I'm gonna. So he's. I, I guess he's. He's he's probing the, the the whole thing of like what is you know whether this is the right path and what is my path and what is religion and is it right and he's sort of questions. They have lots of philosophical discussions in that first book him and his mentor um another an, an older monk called Leftan, and in the beobrand books again he's kind of questioning he's questioning the christianity because he has his friend um kenred the, the monk and their friends and they talk about religion sometimes and they question each other's religion you know and the and so there's sort of there is all that sort of element of questioning but i try not to be preachy because well i've nothing to, to preach about really i think if if I if I, if I was ever if 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 there's anything ever in any of the books that comes across as a bit more preachy, I'd imagine it would be where I'm I'm, I'm thinking you know, I could potentially be making comments on political structures or the way that power is abused and things like that. That would be where I would I think I would show my colours more through a character, um, but you know hopefully not. In a way that becomes too much, but I can imagine that could come through sometimes. I can, I can, I can see there's certain scenes or certain conversations in books that I've written whereby one of the characters will espouse views that I've got about those things. But,
1: yeah, you're very right-wing, aren't you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes, of course I am.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> oh, so the setting in um, A Day of Reckoning early medieval Spain. It's quite different to the first book, which is mostly around Lindisfarne, as you said. So did you enjoy moving away from writing about England's cold weather and rain and whipping wind over rolling moors to a warmer and perhaps more exotic setting?
0: Yes, I did enjoy that. Yeah, although as I said it took a lot of um, a lot of extra research. Um, I couldn't just sort of walk out, walk the dog in the rain and think, oh, all right, I'll just put this into the next ceiling. Yeah. This scene. Feeling. yeah so i had to sort of draw on my memory banks of what it was like living in spain and the heat um uh, because it really does get hot in the summer and the the, mm-hmm. the the book is set sort of in the late spring um but still from from a northern european's perspective down in andalusia um it, you know it could be up in the 30s easily um and so you know they really they really feel the heat um and so yeah so that was nice um not much talking of, of terrible storms and rain although obviously it does rain in spain sometimes but it's um, yeah, no even worse
1: storms than us usually every time yeah. i've been there's been <laughs> thunderstorms scary yes, ones yes
0: you get lots of lightning in the summer the late yeah, summer you get I mean, lots yeah. of really bad sort of you we know, don't really from.
1: get that not in scotland anyway I don't remember the I last i do remember I,
0: I lived in, in in madrid for for a long time and i do remember one time walking to a, I think it was walking to a job interview and I, well i was i got the bus and in between, sort of getting on the off the bus and walking, it was like probably three hundred meters. I had to walk like to a couple of blocks, <laughs> or whatever to, to the place. It the, the the heavens just opened. It was like a clap of thunder. Like it was like out of a movie, you know. And then it was like it was just like walking in a shower. Like in you know, a in a you know in yeah, the bath. Yeah. It was like I was so wet. When I got to the place, I had, had no umbrella or anything with me because I hadn't anticipated Did this, run when up I got to this interview.
1: Did nobody try and sell you an umbrella immediately? Because that's what happened when I was there.
0: <laughs> no, because <laughs> this wasn't a tourist place, this was like in the middle oh, of Madrid, right, right. you know. So so and, and I but I got to this interview and I was just so wet. And I remember it was so bad that my watch had broken because the water had just gone into the I mean it was just ridiculous. I would look like I just sort of sat in the bath with my clothes on and arrived at this this job interview. It's like Come for the interview. I think I got the job, but I can't remember now. (laughs) Yes, it does really, it does really rain. But yeah, I did, I did enjoy writing about the thing, and there was lots of the, um, there's mentions of the, uh, the difference in terms of architecture um, uh, and food and things like that. So I enjoyed bringing those sort of more exotic things into the story, the smells and the the spices and the food and the the um, the the more um, advanced architecture and technology that they, they had
1: yeah because we're kind of so stuck aren't so we uh, with bread cheese and meat is basically the, the a feast isn't it to, to yeah. our uh, kings or whatever in this period over yeah. england so yeah i'd imagine it's a bit more exciting in spain
0: they eat their first of the characters eat their first orange in a day of reckoning so in none of my books up to this point have any of them eaten an orange yeah. Um, before that and the t- the color the name orange I've never mentioned it in any of the books so far because the old English didn't have the word orange they only had the word red um so um that was interesting I don't describe it as an orange because they don't know the name of it obviously <laughs> they, 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 I describe it but they don't know they don't know what it is but they they eat this thing oh this is interesting
1: nice uh, when we were in Spain the last time I remember the the heavens opened and there was a downpour and the guys two guys ran up trying to sell us umbrellas but the funny thing was I was already holding an umbrella (laughs) me and the wife had umbrellas and they were still trying (laughs) to sell us umbrellas So
0: you you can never have too many umbrellas
1: (laughs) so how do you like the cover art for your new book I think all three are great probably even better than the Vanish Chronicles. Uh, I think they're very atmospheric. Do you get any saying what they'll look like?
0: Yes, I really like the um, the the cover. the This new one I think is is brilliant. I think all of them are good. Um, but I think this one's probably. I'm just trying to think. I think this is probably my favourite. Maybe this one, the second one. I think they've got better actually as they've gone on. The first yeah. one has got sort of the cross and the, the Viking and on the on the front, but the second one has got the ship in the fjords which I thought was very atmospheric and a little bit of fire there. And then this one, yeah, with this sort of the setting sun and the the ship. And this was basically, I think, I'm trying to remember now, I think this one was basically my brief that I wrote down. I said, you know, I think having a ship with sort of modern, or modern, (laughs) more, um, more ornate sort of stone architecture on the coast, having like a sunset looking over the Atlantic and having a Viking ship there. So it was very much... What I sort of described, and then they right. went off and produced it, and you know, it was a little bit of tuning a frame, but not very much at all. This is, I mean, and the architecture. Anyone who who sees it will say, "Oh, that architecture is not 100 percent accurate for Al Andalus in the eighth century or whatever." I mean, yes, I'm aware, but it, as you say, we'll atmospheric. It ticks yeah. a box. It 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 sort of it stirs. Something up in your mind when you see it, you you see okay, there's Vikings. here. I can see there's a silhouette of a Viking ship. It's, it looks hot. There's the sunset. You know, it looks warm. You can see these sort of ornate buildings. It really that you know it it shows it what's, the scene, yeah. what the book's about. Yeah, it sets the scene. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've just realised actually it's quite similar to, to my The Northern Throne, <laughs> which had ah, the yes. yeah. Yeah. castle with the the ships coming. It's not really that similar, but it's the same kind of idea. Just when you were talking about the brief. Uh, it was the same, although I actually drew it and sent it to the cover designers yeah. and they kind of just did the exact same thing. But then again, you have uh, a book that's very similar to my new one, The Heathen Horde, the cover with the ship on Absolutely. the front. We can, of that. And we'll, it, talk, really, we'll talk about that. Yeah, there's only really so many things you can do, isn't there? Yeah. So your next book that's coming out is it the Western Uh, and do you have anything else going on that you want to tell us about before we wrap up
0: so after yeah after this one it will be the Western which now has a title shall I announce the title this can be nobody else has heard this so we can exclusive for the podcast so the title for the Western which will be coming out hopefully I think it's the summer of 2024 drum roll please Dark Frontier.
1: You know, I knew you were going to say that.
0: I think you probably did know that because I think I've told you in the past. But well, I also have tried Wessex. to use. I've tried to use that that title before. Yes, as you say, for Wolf of Wessex. It's been. I did. I did joke to the publisher that I said, um, if I write enough books, eventually they'll let me use that title. <laughs> and this one has been ridiculous. It's taken easily two, maybe three months of going to and froing from me saying originally, I'd like to call this one Dark Frontier, and then saying, oh, yeah, okay, and then coming back and saying, no, we've decided we don't like it, and then come up with some more ideas. We must have come up with literally well over 50, close to 100 titles, um, all of which have been rejected for one reason or another, um, and we've gone back to the original one that I said. So in the end, I sent them the, the manuscript, and they have started reading it, and they said, you know what? We if think that's... the title that you wanted from the beginning is okay. It's like, no shit. I thought it was Mm. quite good. It's not actually your your title, though, is it? Oh, well, that's an interesting one. Yes, you're right. It was, well, it is my title, but it was suggested to me by um, Robin Young, also known as Erin Young. Yeah, Yeah. that was for 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 Willful Persons, wasn't it? Yes, and she did suggest it whilst walking to the pub in Wrexham, which is now famous, of course, Wrexham, because of the TV thing about the football club. Welcome to Wrexham. You seen that? No. Ryan Reynolds bought the club. Oh, aye. Aye. Yeah. aye. I don't
1: know who anyway. he is. Aye.
0: Him okay. and McElhenney bought the club.
1: Yeah. Dark Frontier for them, anyway.
0: So anyway, Dark Frontier is the title of the Western, and it will be coming out. It's rather than a Western, and we will talk about it in more detail in due course, but um, yeah, it's more of a it's a bit of bit of everything. Victorianer. Western, police, whodunit, a bit of everything. So yeah, hopefully that will tick a lot of boxes and people will enjoy it. Yeah, action and adventure, obviously.
1: Looking forward to it. Okay, so we have a couple of questions that we ask all our guests. Matthew, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, I am
0: aware, but I haven't actually prepared for them, so I'm quickly thinking now. Okay.
1: What have you been watching and reading this week or lately?
0: Right. What have I been watching or reading? I've been watching a few things, some things on my own and some things with my wife. Um, but I'm just trying to think the latest things that I've been watching with my wife. We've been doing a whole, seat like every season, binge from beginning to end of um, the Big Bang Theory, which oh, we had seen before. But um, obviously, I'm a real nerd. You're not. So that's... Uh, I don't think that funny me, at all. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think it's it's very much you have to be a specific type of nerdy into certain things to get it or to, to like it, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so we we enjoy that. And so we've been watching that. And um, I'm just trying to think what else have we been watching. Any drama stuff that we've been watching together? We have been watching those things. I can't remember now. Um, I've been watching um, Only Murders in the Building. We've been watching this uh, Disney Plus um, right. thing with Steve Martin and Martin Short and... Yeah, and it's and it's very good comedy again, um, amusing. On my own, I've been watching Yellowstone. I'm binge watching the series of Yellowstone. I've watched all the prequels first. They had nineteen twenty three and eighteen eighty three. I'm now watching the um, the actual main series, the Kevin Costner one. I'm on season four. It's incredibly violent and incredibly ridiculous, uh, but I mean, uh, and totally unbelievable. But is very compelling and binge worthy and you can almost just say switch off your mind it's very well filmed obviously production values are huge it's all just like good looking people riding around on horses and killing each other and every now and again having sex
1: sounds exciting
0: so yeah perfect I mean the the visuals are incredible I mean the mountains of Montana and all of the I don't know where it is filmed but it's it's supposedly set in Montana it's just it's just absolutely beautiful
1: which channel is this on? Because this gets mentioned all the time on Rock, Paper, so, so it's, people watch it.
0: It's on, so in the UK, um, you can get it on Paramount Plus if you've right, got Paramount Plus. And if anyone who's listening has got Sky, if you've got a Sky Q box, you can get Paramount Plus included for free in that. Um, if you haven't got Paramount Plus, you can get it through Amazon and stuff. But um, it's now just started airing on Channel 5. I think so, it's oh, season right. one. Okay. Right. Is now airing on Channel Five, but I think literally they're like up to the third or fourth episode or something. So it's right. just just started. Okay. So Channel Five is a terrestrial TV for anyone listening outside of the UK. So anyone can access that. And reading. So, what have I been reading? Um, interesting. I'm just trying to think. What have I been reading? The last book I finished was a book which we're going to talk about in a podcast very soon which is A Savage Moon by Theodore Brunn. So he sent me an early copy of that, an arc of that, an advanced reader copy, and, and it's the fourth, I believe, in his series, um, which is, again, sort of pre-Viking, sort of Viking-y Norse yeah. guy. Very, It's got real similarities with, um, as we talk about with Theodore Brunn, when we get him on the podcast, people will hear, there are similarities between Hunlaf's story and and... And his characters, they go to similar places and you know, travel around and some of the same inspirations behind it. But, yeah, it's great. Lots of um, savage battles and lust and betrayal and love and intrigue and all that you could expect from a good action historical thriller. romp. Yeah.
1: Okay, last question. What have you been listening to and did you listen to music when you were writing A Day of Reckoning?
0: Well, of course, I listened to music when I was listening when I was writing um, *A Day of Reckoning*. I can't remember what music I listened to, um, but yes, I did listen to stuff. I probably listened to all the usual suspects. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm yeah, not the, sure. The, the, yeah, I think I, I tried to. I, I can't remember now, but I'm pretty sure that I found a, a, a few things that had s- vaguely moroccan arabesque sort of stuff so some of the gladiator themes has got sort of bits there when they're sort of in the the desert scenes early on where they've got some of that and i think there's um the music from kingdom of heaven i think things like that which kind of conjured up certain uh you know feeling or or an atmosphere of the, the the middle east you know to give me a bit of that sort of al andalus flavor yeah um and in terms of music that i've been listening to recently new music um the latest, um, Greta Van Fleet had a new album out right, a few any weeks good?
1: ago. I quite like them, but although I find that I only really like a few other songs.
0: It, I find, in, in all honesty, I like it when I'm listening to it. Right. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's Stargazer, I think it is, the, the new album. So um, a rip-off rainbows of Rainbow, is it? No, they know not. Is it Stargazer so, or star It's something like that. Let me just right. open it up and, and find out the title because I feel like I don't want to get the wrong one. Anyway, yeah, my, I have been listening to Ronnie um, James Dio doing the Stargazer thing, so I could have just got that model up. I get my eyes on
1: Judas Priest. I don't know. It just sounds like a familiar, familiar title.
0: Well, anyway, when I'm listening to the album, it's very, very well made. Um, and I think, you know, this is great. I'm enjoying this, but it doesn't, compel me to go back and listen to it again Late. whereas their very first yeah star catcher sorry is there um, the album star ca- star catcher. but their their first stuff the anthem of the peaceful army and stuff mm. that they did um i find myself drawn to go back and listen to those songs they're more derivative i think of um led of led, 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 led zeppelin and i really like the real, Yeah this this new stuff is they've gone a little bit more hippy dippy with it and um yeah. still Incredibly great vocals and really well done and everything, so it's still very listenable. But yeah, I don't know if it's quite as compelling. It doesn't grab me by the throat. Yeah, quite I think as I would much. rather
1: just listen to Led Zeppelin and Rush, really. But if yeah, Fair I think, Port, they, I think they, they, I think they like Fairport Convention as well. They covered one of their, their songs. It was quite a good cover. Like,
0: yeah, I think they like all of that sort of sixties, yeah. uh, early seventies stuff. And they're, um, yeah, I mean they sound great. It's just nice to hear a modern yeah, band that's yeah. trying to do what is sort of classic rock, but also very, very talented. I mean, the lead singer. I It's interesting, talking to different musicians over the years, I've realised that certain people listen to bands in a very different way. And if you're a guitarist, you tend to listen to guitar-driven stuff. And you kind of – I think some guitarists will just almost not hear the vocals. They're only listening to the guitar. <laughs> and in my case, as a vocalist, you know, when I've been in bands and stuff and as a singer, I, I tend to really focus on bands that have great – lead vocals and the, the the singers vocals are amazing and really my my sort of my my yardstick of measuring whether a band is is good i think to some extent is whether the vocalist is better than me and yeah. he can, like you know he's, he definitely is. I mean, yeah. he's like he can you know it's like wow this guy can really really sing you know obviously there's loads and loads of bands that got better singer than you know could sing better than me but <laughs> sometimes i hear a rock band i think oh i could sing better than that you know and he's he kind of i don't know it's, no, I know what you mean. Me I, bit, I, f- you know? <laughs> I feel like that with Jimi <laughs>
1: Hendrix. That there was just something about the way his albums were produced and the way he sings that I, I just can't get into him.
0: But his guitar's great.
1: Oh, oh well, he was a pioneer, definitely uh, yeah. genius. Um, okay, so I think that's it for today's episode. Eh? We hope I think you've so. enjoyed well,
0: it. <laughs> I've enjoyed it very much. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, yeah. But uh, we've got another one to record now. You've um you've you've done more talking than usual yeah And i was
1: even going to do the outro as well
0: yeah okay go for it
1: that's it for today's episode we hope you've enjoyed it if you have please take a moment to leave a review on whatever platform
0: you're listening on and don't forget to subscribe let us know if you have any questions or things you'd like us to cover in future episodes we're on facebook at facebook.com slash rock swords and we're also on x at rock underscore swords You can find out more about our books on matthewharphy.com and stephenamackay.com
1: The theme music is written and performed and copyrighted by us. Until next time on Rock, Paper, Swords, it's goodbye from me, Matthew... Oh no, Stephen (laughs) Mackay. And it's goodbye from me, Stephen Mackay... No, Matthew (laughs) Harphy. That's what you get for reading off a script. And remember, whatever action and adventure you have going on in your life, be kind. Stay safe. And happy reading.
0: that's enough ah! sorry for me So like the money shop